Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Sam Doors. We are in the Maroney District of New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm in a band called the Deslons. Why do I live this fast? I could watch the seasons pass. Maybe then I'd learn the things to ask. Then again, it's my turn. You know, you never think you're going to talk to the folks where they live, but we happen to be here in New Orleans. And um, that's uh, that song, Five Year Plan, from the new record, Ways and Means. I just kept playing that song over. It just felt a little bit too real at times. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm a teenager and like my dad. Right. Yeah. And like this dichotomy that we have to fight as adults now of, I want to live my dream and my passion, but it's also like incredibly irresponsible at times, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember my dad telling me, I think when he was like 45, he's like, Sam, I don't feel a day over 21. I'm just pretending to act like an adult. <laughs> I want a tax return and a souvenir. I want some time to burn in an ice cold beer I got a storage unit It's full of dreams Keys on the desk Back by the shed Text in my jeans It's from my mom It's a link to a room at home Down the street At People's Park The people try to make it home Yeah, I remember feeling that in the songs that you you kind of are all the ages that you are at the same time. You know, you don't, you don't stop being the younger ages. And there's always the kid in there. All right. Welcome back to the show on the road, the music podcast that makes you ask, what if my favorite song just hasn't been presented into my eardrums yet? That is my job. I'm your animal audio wrangler, Zach Lupiton. And today, as you heard, I'm talking to the talented Sam Doors of one of my favorite bands working today, The Dislawns. Now let's go back real quick and talk about that song, Five Year Plan. I'm pretty obsessed with it, as you might have imagined. But there's this really cool article, uh, The Puzzling Gap Between How Old You Are and How Old You Think You Are in The Atlantic by Jennifer Senior that I think touches at my favorite lyrical conundrum presented in that song. 
Somehow, our raging teenager and our crotchety old man are always living within us. And there's this concept researched in the article called subjective age. We all actually feel 20% younger than we are. As Senior mentions, we seem to have an awfully rough go of locating ourselves in time. Ask yourself, how young do you feel right now? Maybe you're 80, maybe you're 25, but we all are floating within the space-time continuum. Anyway, some food for thought. Have you supported your favorite touring band recently? Dust Bowl Revival playing the Troubadour in LA, April 22nd, just saying. Okay, without further ado, here's Sam Doors and the Dislans. You've gone so far away From where love began Trying all night and day Get to the promised land It's been so long a ride Hoping our love survives Think I'll take it walk Where did you grow up? I grew up in California. Oh, okay. Um, spent some summers in Kansas with my, on my grandpa's farm, but mostly grew up in the Bay Area. Hmm. When did you come down here? When I was 19. I started traveling when I was 18, and me and my cousin were on a road trip to Jazz Fest in 2006, right after the storm. And I came down here. I was busking in Austin and met some musicians who were like, you got to come back to New Orleans when we go back. and. It landed on that, that first jazz fest, and I got to see uh, Dr. John and Alan Tucson play like a, a little duet set with uh, Elvis Costello, and mm. first time seeing Bob Dylan, and then I got offered a gig that night and a free place to live, and I was going to stay for one weekend, but here I am, still here. And you read Woody Guthrie's book, Bound for Glory, right? Yeah, that rocked my world, my teenage world. I was definitely a, a big Woody Guthrie wannabe. You know, I thought the other day, when you watch some of the videos of him, right, and he's got the guitars as this machine kills fascists, mm -hmm. like the ballsiness of that, right? you know, and to be in some ways a mainstream artist, or at least someone who inspired a lot of mainstream artists. There's a different like, time. We need, like, who's that guy now, you know? Yeah, I mean, you got Neil Young going, like, impeach the president, you know, yeah, a while back, and... But it's almost like when people... The more complicated now, it's not so... Well, it's like when people say that now, it's like you, people just like roll their eyes. Like, oh, Neil Young is just a yeah. liberal, you know. Sure. You know, in the Bay Area. Sure. You know, the long hair. Yeah, yeah. And he's Canadian, so <laughs> hair is like, he's... Yes, you know. yeah. yeah, I think uh, writing a, a good political song that can be received and not written off, it has to kind of be a little more complex these days. Because there's just... It's kind of like, you know, back in the day, like, people were on one side or the other of a lot of issues. And right now, there's just a lot of issues going on at once. And there's a lot of different styles of music. And there's a lot of... Right. It's not like we all grew up having the same pop songs in our ears. And then, um, like they did in the 50s, and then all of a sudden in the 60s, they had, like, the same type of musical vocabulary to draw from, you know? Uh, yeah, I think with Woody, it was very, like, union versus anti-union, or, like, World War II, are you actually gonna go right against Germany or not, you know, and we don't really have the exact same set of circumstances right now. Well, let's go back to a five-year plan, because I think the the line, I want a tax return and a souvenir, I want some time to burn and a nice cold beer, 
I got a storage unit that's full of dreams, keys on the desk, bike by the shed, text in my jeans. It's from my mom. It's a link to a Rumi poem. Pretty sure my mom also was pretty into Rumi. But I think the the image of you is so clear in this. But I want to know what's in the storage unit. I'm proud to say I finally moved out of that storage unit uh, just about a month ago. And uh, it was the old studio that I had a home studio called Mashed Potato Studios. Mm-hmm. We had a little local record label called Mashed Potato Records. And um, I had a lot of studio gear that I'd been waiting to set back up. The house was getting renovated that I used to live in. And uh, the project kind of just kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And so I ended up living out of the storage unit for about four years. Legal or illegal? Well, no, not not like sleeping. In. Oh, okay. I had a I had a camper van that I was lucky okay. to, to roll around in. A lot of friend, friends' houses and couches. Yeah. Yeah, by no means was I like completely uh, without without shelter. But yeah, at the time that I wrote it, it was in the kind of like the heart of the pandemic, and mm. there was no real finish line in sight at the time. And uh, I was I was starting to feel like okay, all the things that I've all the reasons I've lived here and all the the, the big plans I've had and the dreams are are pretty much locked up in the storage unit right now, which was just house and home and the studio that I was excited to build. Well, when you have a band that has really three lead singers, you know. Mm-hmm artists that can put songs out on their own it creates almost like a beatles like problem everyone has to democratically work to get their songs heard and to get other people to support their writing Mm. right and you guys are very adamant that no this is like a a democratic system in this band um and you did take a five-year kind of like little hiatus between records how do you guys uh, keep the songwriting process civil. It's actually been pretty remarkably easy, especially since we both have, well, Riley and I kind of have solo outlets, and if a song doesn't really completely hit with the band, if people don't get excited about it, or if we just don't think it's going to fit with that sound, then it's not like the song is dead forever. Yeah. And if we like the song, we can we can bring it to our other projects. So that, that keeps things pretty civil, because I really only want to play the songs that, they're excited to play that I've written, and if they, if they're not excited to do it, I'll do it in another format that they could fit it better. You know, I think we just genuinely really like each other's songs too, and always have. I love Riley's songwriting. This last record, Dan wrote some of his best songs, and he really kind of like got it started with a a text thread when we were all taking a hiatus, and he just started sending us voice memos of songs that he'd been writing, and we're like, all right, well, the whole world's locked down, so. We might as well just send each other some voice notes and keep each other inspired and then that eventually turned into the band starting again. Chain link fence circles around A little lot on the south side of town Tell uh, folks who don't know the members of the band and what they play and sure. how they contribute. So there's five of us. Um, Riley Downing plays acoustic guitar and writes a, a handful. Um, he writes, I would say, the majority of, of the songs. With the low drawl. He's, yeah, he's got the Blaze Foley low drawl voice. Um, Dan Culler plays bass and writes songs. And 
sings all the high harmonies. And uh, I play electric guitar in Rhodes and kind of sing the middle harmonies and write songs for the band. And then John James plays pedal steel, guitar, and fiddle. He's our lead instrumentalist. He also writes. He doesn't sing as much, but uh, he writes songs for other guys to sing in the band. And so some of the songs are his that, uh, that we're singing. And then Cameron Snyder has been in the band for a long time, and he writes and sings like a bird. He plays drums. Uh, he recently quit the band. He doesn't really feel like touring anymore. We're going to still play some local shows with him and probably still record. Well, I'm in seven bands with this other guy in town named Howe. Hal Pearson, and he's now our new drummer, and he sings like a bird and, and plays every instrument, and he's a great drummer. Yeah, it's funny being here for, you know, more time than I'm usually able to be in town in New Orleans because we're here for a friend's birthday, and we kind of just going to go see music and, and, and check out the spots. And I'm not playing music, you know, with my band here, so I'm just, like, observing and, and hanging out. And we keep seeing, like, Oh yeah, the bass player from Spotted Cat is the bass player at Preservation Hall. Is yeah. is the bass player at uh, the Roosevelt Hotel? Uh, it's a very ancestral music scene for sure. Are you actually in seven bands in this town? I am. Yeah, I just counted it uh, like a week ago. I'm in seven bands, I think, with Hal. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm in seven bands in this town, and but they're all you know. I guess it's all true. I guess you always have a gig in that. In that way, it keeps it keeps the rent money flowing. It's good to be gainfully employed again. There's a lot of band practices, though. Though that at this point, I'm offended. I didn't see you the last five days at some of the venues. I know we just got back into town. No, okay, from a Desolans tour. Yeah, it's it's always remarkable seeing the level of talent just on the street, right? Mm -hmm. You know, folks that people would pay good money to see anywhere in the country. Just playing in Jackson Square, just playing, you know. Too skinny, busking yeah. in Middle Street. In some ways, it makes me sad because I feel like like I want these people to be more celebrated than just, like, playing on the street. But it's not just playing on the street. Like, who's the, the older lady who plays clarinet on Royal there? Um, oh, Marla. Yeah. It's like, she has, like, almost like a, a throne yeah. on that yeah. part of the street. You know, she's, Thursdays, she's, Fridays, Saturdays, or whatever. She's famous in the French Quarter. Yeah. She's infamous in town. It's like, this is her territory. Yeah. You know? Oh, no, Darlene, I think, is who you're talking Yeah. But yeah, they, nobody would fuck with her spot, you know? <laughs> it's like, because of YouTube and all that, too, there's videos, there's ways for someone to actually have a bigger platform than just Royal Street. A lot of those videos get watched all over the world, you know? Right. Our band, Dust Bowl Revival, was able to throw our own music festival back in October for the first time in L.A. And we, you know, we didn't have a huge budget, but we had a budget to bring a couple national headliner people to join us. And we got Rebirth Brass Band to come up, which was really special, you know? Because it was like, and it was so funny seeing these, like, people out on the Malibu, you know, yeah. hills there dancing to Rebirth, you know, and my, you know, my wife and the baby were rocking out to it. And yeah, it's... You know, something that, you know, some of these folks come through California, but not always, you know. So it's, it was a really special treat. Um, and when you guys tour, um, do you try to recreate the sound of the album, or you do you have different versions live that stretch out a bit more? It always kind of is a, is a different art form, 
Um, we don't stray too crazy far from from the sound of the album, at least on the new album. Um, but the new album does have a lot of o- overdubs, and uh, yeah, you got like Margot Price on. Uh, yeah, she's saying on. She actually sang with us in Nashville recently, yeah. so that was the closest we've had to sounding like the record. But, uh, but yeah, which we, I mean, we, our, I guess our first couple of records were pretty stripped down. It's just like us live, so it's easy to make that happen live again. Um, but this record, there's like string arrangements and there's synths and there's some drum machines, and we've we've done a simplified version of that live, um, where we we try to arrange it so it still sounds full, but a lot of elements are still missing, you know. Yeah, I mean, that Ways and Means title track has almost like a, a doo-wop, like, 50s, you know, rock and roll, R&B feel to it. The same way that I think a lot of this, that 50s bubblegum pop had an element of menace behind it, you know? It's, like, sweet on the surface, and then you kind of bite down below and bitter truths mm-hmm. underneath there. What does that title track mean to you? Well, I didn't write that one. Dan did. I mean, for me, it's it's kind of as simple as the the line "ways and means." It, in New Orleans, it's really clear like how some people are just born at a, at like an extreme disadvantage. They don't have the ways and means to uh, to accomplish like getting above a certain bracket where life can be manageable. Mm. There's just an element of desperation that's pervasive, you know, and um, people act out because they have to. Not because they want to, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I guess for me, it, it kind of represents that. But it could it could also just be as simple as like you're driving home from work and you're stuck in traffic and you're just not living your best life and you're just kind of like feeling feeling trapped, you know. When I played, I honestly don't really listen to the lyrics as much. We were just kind of banging on trash cans and like playing the fun organ riff. And uh, for me, it's just an opportunity to, to play some rock and roll and have fun. And I let Dan do the singing on that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, he would have, a, I'm sure, like a more eloquent description of what it means, Dan. Yeah, people don't get, I think, how pleasurable it is to like not sing lead but play in the same band sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I love writing songs for our lady singer, LaShawn, because I can kind of like actually be a spectator and a participant at the same time, you know? And drop in on a harmony every once in a while. Yeah. That's one of the things I do love about the Deslons. I get to like, we all get to kind of like weave in and out of the spotlight in a way that we get to express ourselves and then we get to just chill out for a second and support each other. And I need both to feel fully satisfied.
That line that Riley sings in uh, Good To Go, the first track, you know, I guess I'm all in, I always have been, is, is fascinating because he doesn't say I'm all in, he says, yeah, I guess I'm all in. Yeah. And I've always had, you know, always had Lansing Riley. <laughs> because in a way, I think a lot of people who make music their life, right, who make this pretty hard road, the road that they're going to be traveling indefinitely, you have to kind of keep convincing yourselves that it's worth it, or you have to keep convincing yourself that your words, your music, your uh, viewpoint matters in some way, right? Do you have imposter syndrome at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think... I mean, most of us do, you know. Most of us do, and especially when you hit a certain age, and like you said, like your responsibility levels keep rising, and then it puts a little bit more pressure on your art to be like, okay, is this worth the time I'm right. spending and energy I'm spending doing it compared to the money I'm making? Do I really have something to say here? Um, whereas like in my early 20s, if I started to get that, I'd work a shitty job and be like, nope, I'm still feeling the music, still the best job I ever had and I, I love it. And I didn't even really overthink it. It was kind of just um, what I had to, well, I think that's had to let out. That's the thing, is like most of the time, if you're really doing this for a decade, it's because you're obsessed. Yeah. You know, I mean, I used to be more of a playwright. You know, I went to school for theater, for creative writing, for um, fiction. You know, I was like, in my mind growing up, I was going to be like a novelist or, yeah. you know, on like writing Broadway serious work, you know, like Edward Albee and... Uh, you know, mm -hmm. how's it going? Eugene O'Neill. It's not going, <laughs> but I did try for years, you know, um, and it was such a lonely enterprise. And I always realized when I was even at school that my favorite part of the fiction class was me performing the story at the reading. Right. Right. Getting the reaction, seeing what would light people's eyes up, mm -hmm. you know, what, punchlines worked or didn't work. And like, I had one play in New York, and it was fascinating because every night people laughed at different things. And the problem is that you work so hard to rehearse these things, and then you do a weekend, and then it's done. There is a theatricalness to live music, for sure. And especially, I think, what you and Riley are doing are telling these stories in this new record of, like, almost like a a fading Western expansion or something, you know, like the, what is that line you have? Like the, the end of Owen Wilding. Yeah. Of the, yeah, this is the end of the Western world where sometimes your dreams come true, like a funhouse mirror that like the American dream or whatever we thought it was has sort of warped into some other dream that maybe is a nightmare for some people, you know, all of a sudden you're a monster you just were following your dreams yeah
That song, Wild Eden, has like this almost like birds, you know, Laurel Canyon guitar part, which I love. Yeah, John really, really brought that bot into the uh, the song with his little 12, 12 string electric. Why are 12 strings used more? I don't understand. They sound so rad. I love them. I, I just bought my first 12 string. Uh, it's an acoustic, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it sounded great in the 20s with Lead Belly and Blind Willie Mattel, and still sounds great. I guess it's just a it's a strong flavor, so. Or it kind of puts you in that box of the Laurel Canyon bird sound if it's the electric one. If, uh, if it's at all kind of like folk rocky. Well, I think there's always the trap with certain bands trafficking in this, I don't know, roots rock world where a lot of the reviews of your stuff is like, yeah, it's like new nostalgia in a way. That they're paying homage to some lost honky-tonk universe that we'd love to like go back to somehow Mm -hmm. do you feel like you're doing that i don't think you are really but you know no i i think maybe in the on our first record we were more obsessed with uh i know the younger i was the more obsessed i was with living in the past in general Mm -hmm. and just romanticizing the sounds of the 50s and 60s and we were recording things as simple as possible through old RCA mics and doing it all live. And and now we're like, oh, cool, you got an MPC? Let, let's mess with the beat. Let's, you know, it like, it's, uh, it felt very limiting after a while. I don't think anymore we're trying to work from a place of nostalgia at all. I think we just love old music and new music. And now whatever comes out of this is going to be a combination of those influences. Yeah, that first track from the self-titled record in 2015, Fought the Blues in One, like, <laughs> you could feel all you guys, like, in one room, almost with a drunken smile on your face, singing this together. Definitely had a little drunken smile going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, uh, when Riley wrote that one, it was just a country song, and our big, uh, what we thought was going to be innovative for us was uh, trying to combine the old honky-tonk with, like, New Orleans R&B feel. And obviously that had been done a million times, but... Um, I guess for like street busking bands in our little community, people weren't really doing that. And so he showed me that one and I was like, let's put a Fats Domino rhythm on it. And then John Davis did a classic guitar solo. I remember that would feel pretty good in the studio live. with the Felice Brothers? 
We have it. Um, I really admire their songwriting. There's a lot of overlap, I feel like, between you guys. Um, we have mutual friends. I've, I've met them a few times, but... Um, a little less freak slam poetry on your work, maybe, but... Um, like, Ian is a master. Asteroid words. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so impressed. I had them on the podcast, like, last year, and it was like, consider myself a lyrics first songwriter, but I'm like... I don't even know where to start in this jazz on the Audubon. <laughs> yeah, right. Jazz on the Audubon. You know? I listened to that like 10 times in a row the night I heard it. I'm like, I'm sorry. Why is why are we on the Audubon? <laughs> like, maybe it doesn't matter. <laughs> he could take me anywhere with a story. He can just, I'm like, all right, I'm on, the, I'm on the tarmac right now listening to Alice Coltrane with you. One of my favorite songwriters is Tom Waits. And right. him and Kathleen, when they write together, They'll just create a whole universe. Yeah. Just, they basically, like, invent this whole theater of whatever album that they're in, and you can, like, see the set design. You can see the type of uh, the characters that they're talking about. And I, I know that they're not, like, members of their family. Like, they're actually living a healthy, happy, sober life as two parents right. in California. Um, and I think there's a lot of value to that if you... I have a great imagination and you and if you're basing it off of some like usually you can create a story that with that still reveals things that are really true to a lot of people you know and resonate with people and um sometimes you can just be making yourself laugh sometimes you can tell somebody else's story it doesn't have to be yours you know you can meet somebody and hear a story and then you can read a passage of something that happened in history and go off on that yeah i don't think there's any like better kind of song one, one way or the other. Yeah, I think the, the the scene that is set in, like, a song like South Dakota Wild One, and, like, we're put into, like, a like a, a set that Riley is sort of building for us, you know? That one's very, very personal. Yeah. That's just straight up a, a year of his life that he went to South Dakota when he was a teenager and, and going through our time and about this lady that kind of, like, took care of lost kids, you know, kids that didn't really have, like, a stable family situation. And, uh, yeah, so yeah, I would say with a song like that, that's that's very personal. But the way he describes it... Right. ...makes it almost uh, this, like, archetypal thing that people can relate to, you know, they didn't have that experience. Johnny was a punk rock boy But had a soft spot in his heart And he knew who he did not One day he went up there I never saw him come back home I hope she caught him Stopped the tires rolling down the road Yeah, because he's talking about this, you know, the prairie where the cottonwoods bloom and like, like these broken men who are sort of finding their way there and I see this movie playing to that song I think you guys would be really it'd be a fun choice to pick you guys to do a movie like the soundtrack like they don't do that they don't do that enough anymore where they just have like like the graduate just had all Simon and Garfunkel songs or yeah you know like, uh, what was it the one with Phil Murray of Water no uh, Life Aquatic where it's like all David Bowie but yeah uh, the Brazilian artist singing if there was a movie 
that you love that you could rewrite the score slash soundtrack to, what would it be? Well, then I'd be talking shit on whatever was already written. Uh, probably Anchorman. Okay, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That would be that'd be interesting to see how that would be pulled. That would be fun. That was yeah. Harry Potter four. <laughs> um, I'd have to give S and five to to give you a a real answer. I think um, Cool Hand Luke would be fun. Mm. But I love that there's not that much music in that, and I love that Plastic Jesus song he sings. Butch Cassidy, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yeah, that could be a great one. I forget what the soundtrack sounds like. It's not where uh, raindrops keep falling on my head. Yeah, she. That's good though. Put put back rack and step aside. You know, for just <laughs> just one. He gets enough jobs. Yeah. Did you grow up listening to country music mostly, or, or 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 did you grow up listening to all sorts of stuff? All kinds of stuff. My dad, I spent most of my childhood with my dad, because my mom was working full-time. He was always driving us around and taking us on field trips, and he was the coach for baseball. And He only listened to Oldie Station, so mm-hmm. I grew up pretty much exclusively hearing the Oldie Station, which was a lot of Beatles, Otis Redding, that kind of stuff. Some of my earliest memories are him just like quizzing me which Beatles singing lead on a song. <laughs> and uh, if I got it right, I could get a treat that day, you know, and if I didn't, he'd lock me in my room for a week. No, I'm just kidding. I would say I grew up mainly just like listening to like classic 60s and 50s oldies. Yeah, I, I hope that my daughter is a fan of that stuff, but you know, maybe she'll be into hip hop or something. Who knows? Well, that's kind of the Beatles of a different generation. Yeah. But I, d- I definitely got really into hip-hop in, in like, middle school. And, and then in high school, I discovered the band and got extremely into that. And I would say that was probably a big influence on why I put the Desilons together. I wanted to be in a band where everyone had a voice and everybody sang and everybody wrote and played multiple instruments. And that seemed like the perfect... Uh, but didn't want to kill each other at the end. Yeah. <laughs> it would probably try to stay away from heroin. But yeah, that was kind of, the band is probably the model that, uh, that if there is a model for us, we admire them much. I think them and, and, and CCR feel like a band that knows exactly how they're supposed to sound. Fogarty and his brother, they're from where you're from. And it's like they're from the Bay Area. Right. But they're playing like swamp rock. So in a way, like they're creating this fictional world. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, that song Home Again has that kind of CCR guitar vibe going on. Yeah. And I didn't think about it like that. It, it just feels like again, we're in some old bar in the middle of the country somewhere, and people are dancing, drinking, having a good time. Um are there certain nights where you guys totally get weird and let loose? When we play live? Yeah. Riley and I don't have any kind of formula worked out, except that we usually loosely introduce our own songs. And him and I kind of do, I guess, the majority of the talking. And there's some nights where Riley's just really feeling... Riley's one of the funniest people I know. And uh, 
if he's in the right mood, he can get the audience just like in stitches because he's got such, he's got that draw. He's from the country, he's from a small town. People that are in that demographic can really relate to him, but he's also got this like weird imaginative side that's really rare for people that, um, that have his background and how he expresses himself. And so he can, he kind of like bridges the gap. He, he had like Manhattan just like in stitches, you know, and they had never seen a creature like him. They're just like, didn't know what to do with him. And uh, so when he's in the right booth, I would say we're very much like a comedy act that also plays music. And then some nights we just don't talk hardly at all and just get into the songs and we try not to force it. We, cause it's not gonna be funny unless we're like really feeling, feeling the connection with the audience and feeling like we need to crack a joke. Um, and we want to, you know. If you could uh, create a magical, mystical festival, you get to create the festival, you're the curator. The first five acts that you book, dead or alive? Well, I'd have to say dead, because then we can throw a festival with live bands. All right, we'll have this, on the left, the main stage, we'll have the dead, five dead bands, yeah. and then five current living bands. Okay, um, dead bands, do you want to do it together? Should we go back and forth? Sure, I'll do it with you. Okay. I mean, one band I'd just love to see live is uh, Louis Armstrong. Yeah, I mean, I know there's a lot of that, but... The Hot Fives and Seven, like, like really his band was called. When he was, like, with King Oliver and like, yeah. kind of, like, cutting his teeth and, like... Mm. I think that was probably some of the most energetic. My, my dad always tells a story when he was, like... Maybe in elementary school, his dad was trying to get him tickets to Benny Goodman's orchestra, like Madison Square Garden or something. It was like one of the last concerts that he was going to do. And he died like that week. Oh. And never got to see him. Yeah, it hurts. He's like, oh, we used to listen to Sing, Sing, Sing. I'm yeah. 78. Dang. Just missed him. I, I think that would be fun to see. Do you want to do the live stage? I'll do the dead stage. Oh, okay, I'll do the live stage. Um, I would say right now, I really like this guy, Michael Kiwanuka. Oh, I love him. Though I've never been able to see him with, like, whatever full version of his recording group is, with, like, the background singers. Sure. What he's doing, I think, is completely unique and really special. We got to tour with him in the Alabama Shakes, oh, like, cool. a ways back. Um, and we were opening for them, and he just brought an electric bass player out and did a duo set and occasionally call us up to play a harmonica and sing some harmonies with him. He's just the sweetest, most genuine yeah. cat. He's an incredible songwriter. He was in the lower ninth ward. He was thinking about being my roommate down there for a little while. Oh, really? And we were going to like maybe work on recording some stuff at the home studio. And then he got chased by pit bulls in the neighborhood and scared the shit out of him. Mm -hmm. Decided to go back to London. <laughs> there were just some stray pit bulls. We were walking, it was Riley, me, Cam, and Michael. It was like sundown in the lower ninth ward. And the pit bulls came and they just like came around the corner and stopped. And then Michael took off and they just started running after us. And luckily Riley, just like when they caught up to us, Riley like turned around and alphaed them. And wow, it was a giant voice. He was just like, bad dogs. <laughs> and then they, they were straight stopped. They were, I mean, they didn't have owners. They don't have collars. I know. You know, I would never have thought that I'd be a pit bull dad, but my wife convinced me to 
look at these creatures in a different way. And we adopted one during, you know, COVID. She's a, you know, pit mix. Not a big one, but she is the sweetest, snuggliest, you know, little creature, but has this guttural, I will kill you growl. Yeah. That just freaks people out. It's real. You know? And you look at it and you see the jaws and with that sound and those jaws, that thing could kill me probably. And she just like clearly had some trauma that she got through and she's doing great. But like, do we trust her to just sort of hang out with our friends in the house? Not really. Yeah. And we now have the baby and she and the baby kind of like are obsessed with each other, which is kind of cute. But like when the baby's like banging into stuff, you could see this little look in her eye like, God, I wish you wouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but can you not? <laughs> They're like, okay, we're going to put you in the other room now. Quick little growl in there. Okay, back to the festival. Okay, so we got Louis Armstrong. I have Michael Kiwanuka. Great choice. Um, I would love to see early Helen Wolf with his band. Uh, okay, uh, my pick for the live stage. Uh, let's do a, a New Orleans local. Hooray for the riffraff. All right. I think she's great. Oh, yeah. We said to her, have Kate 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 doing this, but uh, yeah. we were her backup band for like six years. Well, you are in seven bands, so, you know, it makes sense. For a while, it was just the two bands, just Deslons and Riff Raff, and we toured together a bunch. And uh, like what you were saying with the street musicians in New Orleans, there's a lot of people that started out busking and, and did end up getting a bigger platform from that, like Sierra Farrell and mm. the Riff Raff. And, um, yeah, I think New Orleans busking is a really great place to, to cut your teeth in. All right, your pick. Okay. Um, I'm going to say early Whalers before it became like just Bob Marley with a backup band. Okay. OG Whalers. All right. Live stage pick three. I mean, he's still around. So Paul McCartney. There you go. I mean, I saw him probably, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago now. Dude sounded like he was 25. Yeah, he doesn't fuck around. He's not drinking beer in between songs. It was funny to me, though, that the whole stadium went and got drinks or food during his Wings set. He was like, all right, we're going to play some Wings. and Was he doing most of the Beatles stuff before? Yeah. And then everyone's like, okay, uh, I'm going to go to the bathroom. It's got to hurt. Like, the place just, like, cleared out, and then it's like, oh, he's playing Hey Jude, and we're back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen a Beatle, but I would go. I would go see that for sure. Um where we're at, we're at three. Yeah. Just to bring it back to New Orleans, I think um, seeing some like Booker T, like early Dr. John, like Bergen Street um, era, like before Dr. John was Dr. John, when he was just Booker T's backup guitar player. Mm. And some of the meters and some of the Nello brothers, they're all kind of like this house band type thing. I've been seeing that band would be high on my list. I was lucky to talk to uh, Leo Nocentelli. Um, for an episode a couple months ago from the meters in life. That dude has got some stories. See the one that had the like more folky album coming? Yeah. That that is like so cool. Another side. You got to have him on the podcast. Yeah. Incredible. He kept he kept saying this one phrase that cracked me up when he was like, Look, when you're at my level <laughs> He kept being like, Well, you know, uh 
When you're at my level, this is kind of how it sounds. <laughs> I want to be on his level. Some deck, some lifetime. Oh my god. Alright, uh, back to the live stage. Let's do a little um, first aid kit. Sibling harmony. I'm just, I'm just powerless. I got to hear them from a distance at a festival in the UK, but they, were, they sounded so good and I was so bummed I didn't get to we had the sound check with Riff Raff at the time and didn't get to enjoy a full set. Alright. Alright, last pick. Last one. God, no pressure. Tempted to close it out with something like Beethoven, you know? Something that yeah. just can't like instead of the Elton John, Billy Joel, like pianos tour, like Mozart and Beethoven, like yeah. in concert. <laughs> yeah, dueling pianos with Mozart and Beethoven would be pretty hot. That'd be a great TV show. Like Beethoven and Mozart have to go see a show at Preservation Hall. I just want to, yeah, I want I want those brains to hear the music. That was- They'd be like, what are all these black people doing here? This is crazy. Eventually, they end up all partying together. <laughs> yeah. All right, my last pick for the live artist stage. I'm an old Andrew Bird. Can't go wrong with him. Gotta love a whistler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, uh... He seems to be one of those people that really has figured out how to make a, a good career out of doing his own thing and also supporting other people's music in like a really nice balanced way yeah I just he just seems to know like what stories or what sound he wants to create you know yeah which I admire and I think he uh, teams up with some interesting people I mean the Fiona Apple record was really cool I gotta check that out yeah well I'm glad that you could do this um we have to go back to California now, sadly, where it's completely flooded, apparently. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, hopefully that plane lands. Been eating some water, though, out there. Though you guys know all about flooding down here. Um, but, um, yeah, Ways and Means, one of my favorite records the last few years. Um, and uh, if you haven't listened to it, folks, turn it up loud. It sounds real good. We'd love to have you at the next... Sonic Boom Fest in the Malibu Hills. Wow, that sounds fun. Sweet release. Sweet release. The whole world set on fire. Okay. Big thanks to Sam for making the time to talk to me in New Orleans. Yes, and if you haven't heard my talk with Anna Moss, which was also taped right on Frenchman Street, uh, go back and listen to that. It's really fun. Theshowontheroad.com slash episodes. 
The newest record, which we dove into extensively in this talk, is called Ways and Means from the Deslons. Uh, their website is deslons.com. Uh, don't go to thedeslons.com. It will be a completely different band that looks like a bunch of stock footage put together. Uh, they are touring uh, all over the place coming up, playing Hogs for a Cause in New Orleans April 1st, playing the Jazz Festival in May. Uh, they're actually going over to Europe, playing in Germany, and uh, coming back and playing in Kentucky, Ohio, all over the place. Please check them out. They're really, really great live. And Zach, what's your band Dust Bowl Revival up to in April? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, we're actually going all the way down the West Coast, starting in Portland on April 14th at Douglas Fir Lounge and going up to Seattle playing Nectar and then in Bend, Oregon playing the Volcanic Theater Pub with a really cool blues rock band that I hope I can get on this show. They're called GA20. April 19th, we are back in our home golden state of California at Freight and Salvage with Grammy winner Dom Flemons. He's also joining us April 22nd at the Troubadour here in L.A. Wait, I can donate to this very podcast to keep it going? Why, yes, you can. Uh, if you go to the iTunes page, you'll see in the text that there is a red circle link where you can throw all the money that you care to throw right in my face. It would really be appreciated, and we'll be having really cool new episodes coming out throughout the year, including my next episode with Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter Courtney Marie Andrews. As always, the show on the road is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Zach Lupiton. And starting this week, we have additional audio production help from my wife, Taylor Kaufman. We are a part of the BGS Podcast Network, and we will see you coming up soon with new episodes. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. <laughs>